Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That was wonderful. Thank you very much for the welcome and for the greeting. I really do appreciate that this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, we've already had some very good services. I'm glad to see everyone here this morning. And I really do believe that God wants to help us. And if we will open our hearts, I believe he will help us. Ezekiel chapter 16, there's a very powerful principle and truth in the Bible. And that is the reality of blessing and cursing. We are familiar with this in our nation. We understand the dynamics of blessing and cursing. People seek blessing. Sometimes upset people seek cursing on others. The Bible speaks to this. If you want to get revelation about blessing and about cursing, you go to the Word of God, not Dr. Shaba Washaba. <laughs> not Prophet Huha. We go to the Word of God. I preached a sermon a few years ago somewhere in another church. I preached on uh, on inherited curses, and there was a visitor that came to the service. She was from. She was a nice lady. She was not from our fellowship. She came. She approached me after the church after the service, and she said, "Aren't curses broken when we get saved?" And there's a truth to that, the curse of sin. Paul writes in Galatians and says we are delivered from the curse of the law. We are saved. But there are certain curses the Bible clearly speaks about that can be passed from generation to generation, that can be sent, or that can be incurred because of disobedience to God. Uh, Derek Prince, in his book, blessing and cursing you choose said these words for many life presents a mix of light and shadow arranged according to no recognizable pattern governed by no discernible laws across this scene two men may start out walking side by side similar in background and ability they are headed in the same direction Yet one walks almost always in the light and success and fulfillment follow him. The other close by him scarcely sees the light. He is continually overshadowed by failure and frustration and his life ends tragically and too soon. Neither of these men understands the forces at work in his life. The sources of light and shadow are hidden to them both. Probably they have never even considered the possibility that both light and shadow may have been their source in previous generations. Proverbs says that like a sparrow flies around, lands on a branch here, flies over there, lands on a branch there, but does not settle down, so a curse without a cause cannot land. Amen. 
There are reasons why people have curses. There are reasons why people do not. We're going to look at a story here in the book of Ezekiel, and God is speaking to the prophet, through the prophet, to his people. And he uses the imagery of his people, which might as well be us, as a city. I want to preach a sermon this morning called Struggling in Your Own Blood. I want you to open your heart. We're going to maybe sail into some deep waters this morning, but this is what God put on my heart to start this revival. Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your blood live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood live. And I made you thrive like a plant in the field. And you grew, and matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown in your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. Struggling in your own blood. I want to look first of all with you at the setting here. When we look at God's people, we think in terms of Israel and Jerusalem. If you're a Bible student, you would know that about the history of the establishing of Israel as a nation. This began with Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, a time of Jacob's uh, offspring moving into Egypt, reproducing, becoming a mighty people, being delivered from Egypt. Four generations later, over a million people, over a million men, and then going and inheriting, taking possession of the land of Canaan, which is now the nation of Israel, and, but this text does not speak of the origin of the nation of Israel. It's not speaking of Abraham and Sarah. The origin of the city of Jerusalem is in view here. Jerusalem was in place. Jerusalem did not really become part of Israel until David conquered it. And 
so when God speaks here about Jerusalem, He says your father was a foreigner, your mother was a foreigner, an Amorite and a Hittite, and there was something that was pagan you, that my view of you was as you were born, you were an illegitimate orphan child that was thrown out and abandoned and not cared for. God gives a perspective here. He says, this is what I did for you, Jerusalem, my love. I saw you, I had mercy on you, verses 6 through 8. God says to Jerusalem, I adopted you and I made you my, my child. Verses 9 through 11, I washed you and I clothed you and I adorned you with jewelry. That is clearly a picture of what Jesus does when he saves us. He takes us out of the field where we had been cast out and abandoned and left for dead. Some of us, tragically, that was actually our physical beginnings, but that certainly is our spiritual beginnings. We had nothing to offer God. We were cast off, we were born, we were struggling in our own blood, and I think the application to our lives here is pretty obvious. You and I have a bad background. Adam and Eve became sinners, and you or I were born in iniquity. David says in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I want to tell you, David is no different from you and me. You, this, this may not help your self-esteem this morning, but the truth is, is we come from a bad background. Years ago, uh, my family put together an album of some photos going way back into the 1800s, and I'm thinking, you know, my 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 great my great grandmother was this dignified woman in a Victorian era dress and so forth. There's a picture of her out on a farm. She's wearing skirt a skirt and some boots. She has her leg up on a on a tree stump, she's smoking a pipe and she's holding a rifle. So much for Anderson coming from royalty. We come from a bad background. We were dead in trespasses and sin. But I want you to think about this. God speaks to and He talks about blood. We need to understand the power of beginnings. The Bible says that there is life in the blood. We need to consider, again, the inheritance and power of beginnings. Genesis 12, God called Abraham. His descendants became the nation of Israel. God ordained a national destiny for those people to fulfill His purpose in the earth. Abraham is known as the father of our faith. And to this day, there are more Nobel Peace Prize winners or Nobel Prize winners that come from Jewish extraction or from Israel than anywhere else on planet Earth. Almost all of the high-tech fiber technology, military defense technology, IT technology, it doesn't come from the United States, it doesn't come from the UK, it doesn't come from Japan, it comes from Israel because there's something special about those people. And that is, there, there, there is just something that is very powerful in the beginnings. I want you to think about Abraham's nephew, Lot, who traveled with Abraham, but then separated and then joined himself to Sodom because he was selfish. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot barely escaped 
with his life. His wife, Mrs. Lot, did not escape that judgment. It was Lot and his two uh, daughters who escaped into the, into the mountains of Zoar, and there in a cave, listen to me, in their carnality, in their uncleanness, Lot's daughters said, lest our family line die out, let's have children from our father. They conceived, they both had sons, the oldest daughter's firstborn son, out of incest was named Moab. Youngest daughter's firstborn son conceived out of incest was called Ammon, the father of the Moabites, the father of the Ammonites, the Bible says in Genesis. And if you would study it out, the Ammonites and the Moabites were unclean. They were violent. They were filthy. They were sexually perverted. They were, they were horrible, horrible people. They were the most unclean of all the ites. And it's rooted back into their unclean beginnings because there is something powerful and spiritual in beginnings. Leviticus 17.11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Here in our text, God speaks about blood. Stay with me this morning. God speaks about blood. Two powerful statements. Verse 4, as for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut. So what God is saying there is you were born with a bloodline spiritual connection to, un to unclean past that had not been broken. You inherited some things spiritually, culturally. You inherited that. Your navel cord was not cut. There was still a connection. He makes another statement. Verse 6, When I passed by you, I saw you struggling in your own blood. One, one translation says polluted in your own blood. Another translation says kicking about in your own blood. The Amplified Bible says, When I passed by you and saw you rolling about in your blood, I said to you in your blood, Live. Yes, I said to you, still in your natal blood, live. So what this is talking about, beloved, is this is talking about a connection that causes people to struggle, and this is generational. I'm talking about curses that have been passed from our family. I don't mean to insult your family. But this is something that is very, very powerful. Are you with me? When I pastored my first church in Texas, there was a woman in our church who, one of the first people saved, she actually got saved in our opening service in 1994. A few months later, she brought her sister to my house. Her sister was choking to death. We pulled her out of the car. This kind of stuff always happened in my front yard for the neighbors to watch. She is manifesting a demon. And I started praying for her, and she calmed down a little bit, kind of came to herself. We are praying for her, and I said, I'm not sure we've got a handle on this. I did notice she had scars on both of her wrists where she had tried to kill herself. I said, you take her home. She would not say the name Jesus. 
So you take her home, but I don't think we're finished. A few hours later, I got a call from the sister in our church. You need to come. She's manifesting. I came to her. We prayed. I cast a few demons out of this woman. She came right, and we got the story. These two sisters, their grandfather was a very powerful witch. You think Africa is the only place that has witches. Man, he was a very powerful witch, what we would call a warlock. People would come to him to cast spells and put curses on people. This grandfather dedicated this lady to the devil while she was still in her mother's womb. It was also suspected that the grandfather was also the father. So we're talking a serious curse here. This is how this girl came out of the womb. And story after story after story of oppression, of blacking out, losing track of time, waking up and not knowing what happened the past few hours. She gave her life to Jesus. She began to come to church. And there were still some things that were pulling on her. She would still struggle. I said, I don't care where you are. I don't care where I am. You call me. You find me. I will pray for you. God's going to bring you out of this. And it was about a year and a half later in a Bible conference. She came to me after a service. She looked completely different. She said, the chains are off. A little backtracking there. She was living with a man she was not married to. She began to, she wouldn't, she wouldn't share his bed anymore. So he's getting upset. So what's going on? What's going on with that church? And so she said, come meet the man. Well, he came to church with a gun. Because he thought he was going to meet the man. And I introduced him to the man. And he gave his life to Jesus, and a month later, we married them in our church, and today they are pastoring. There are people who go through life, they struggle in their own blood. Are you with me? If there is ever a tension, when we begin to understand this, we begin to have a better understanding of some of the problems that are facing us in Africa. These are not circumstantial. This is not about who has money and who and who doesn't and what color they might be. These are spiritual. These are blessing and curse issues. And many times they are generational. And if there is ever a tension in Africa, it is this. People who are converted, who are born again, but their navel cord is still attached. I want to talk to you about blood struggles. These are things that are passed through generations. This is about cultural sin. So one of the beautiful things, why, part of why I'm still here is because there are some beautiful things about African culture. I, I, I don't ever get sung a welcome song when I preach in America. <laughs> Many times they're glad when I leave. So, there are some beautiful things about African culture, but there are also some sinful things about African culture. 
This is true everywhere on planet Earth. Every culture has had parts of it that have been taken hostage by the devil. What happens is when this sin becomes iniquity and it becomes cultural and it is passed from generation to generation and then it becomes a curse. Right. Exodus 34, 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So I want to talk to you about some blood struggles that we experience in this part of the world. Number one, we experience a curse because of sexual immorality. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Listen to me. Sex is for marriage, and it's only for marriage. It's not for fun. It's not for dating. It's not for conquering women. And it's not for re revenge against men. It's for marriage. And marriage only. And anything else, God will not bless. On the contrary, it says God will judge. And the horrible legacy that we have of sexual immorality in our nation is the curse of illegitimacy. These are children who are conceived or born to parents who are not legally married to each other. Our culture does not define what marriage is. God says what marriage is. Marriage comes from God, not from our culture. And God sanctions marriage legally through government laws. And He does this to protect property rights and inheritance rights of children. And so this is to avoid the situation that when Dati dies, we go to his funeral and we find out we have six other half-brothers and sisters that we never knew about who join with the other eight or nine half-brothers and sisters to become 15 or 16 half-brothers and sisters who now fight over one house. Because that situation is living out the curse. Promise me you'll come back to church tonight. <laughs> Deuteronomy 23.1 One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. This is the curse of illegitimacy. Listen, all the experts are in agreement on this. Illegitimate children are the wellspring of all social breakdown because this is how it works she will not require him to get a job put a ring on her finger and get a marriage license she will not require him to do that she gives up her purity and her body too easily so now they have a baby he's not bound to her legally he's not invested in her so he's gone. So she has to raise that boy alone. And thank God for moms. They are heroes in our nation.
But a mother cannot teach a little boy how to be a man. A man does that. And so that boy grows up without the reference points and discipline that make him a man. And this is why we have a whole generation of teenage boys walking around wearing girl pants. <laughs> make me nervous, son. Make me nervous. Why are you showing your legs and your butt off? You make me nervous. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> so because of that, he gets older. Mom has trouble controlling him. So he goes off. He's not raised in the house. The streets raise him. He's attracted to the gangsters because they look so tough and bad and they look like the stupid American Hollywood music videos with their hat on sideways and looking foolish. Yo, yo. So now it's crime. He's got to conquer women because that's what he picks up. He doesn't, he doesn't learn the morals and the reference points in home. The curse perpetuates. Broken manhood. God says, listen to me. You know what God says to this? He says, I see this. I see that your navel cord is not cut. I see you struggling in your own blood. I see that there's an aspect of family and growing up and becoming a responsible adult. I see that this is broken. I see this and I want to do something about this. Generational poverty. Proverbs 10, 14, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Clearly, poverty is a curse. The major markers of poverty is a wrong view of money. It's a wrong view of work. It's self-pity. I have no one to help me. And it's laziness. Now, people have financial setbacks. And we're experiencing that right now. People have been laid off, retrenched, half-time, half-pay, furloughed, those kinds of things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about generational poverty. Totally wrong views of money. Had an arrest in Mpopo, I believe it was last night. Two, two guys were posing as members of the Hawks. Went and visited a guy who has tenders for, for a, a PPE and uh, said there are some irregularities in your contract here. Well, they didn't know that. You give us 50,000 Rand, the docket will go away. Well, this guy reported them to the Hawks. They investigated. These guys aren't part of us. They arrested them. They are the ones who are in jail now. This is the mindset that is in our nation. God help us if this is in the church. Amen. Amen. Oh, by the way, 
God says a curse comes when you rob him of his tithe. You know what God says? He says, I see this. I see you struggling in your own blood. I see you that you've gotten saved and that you're trying to serve God and you're trying to do right. I see you that maybe you are breaking through and you are doing honest work and you're one of perhaps the few people in your family who is. He says, I see you struggling with the black tax. He says, I see you struggling with this. See, God sees. He, he sees the struggles that we go through. Sometimes, and many times, we are totally unaware that there's a spiritual side to this. We're saved, but we're still struggling with some spiritual dynamics. False worship and ancestor veneration. Leviticus 19.31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 18, 10 and 11, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a sangoma, I mean medium, or spiritist, or one who consults the dead. I know I look like an accountant to you. I was a witch before I got saved. I was a witch. I know how to read bones and stones. I know how. I know it's, I, I, how, how they do it. Witchcraft is familiar. It's exactly the same. When, when, the, when, they, when they throw the bones and the stones or whatever, there's three principles. There's money, there's health, or, or prosperity, uh, or, or, or blessing, and then, there's, and then there's family. When they throw these things, there are, there are bones, or there's stones, or there's uh, that represent one of these three things. They throw them and they read how they line up. Whatever, whatever lines up and is dominant there, that's when they will begin to curse you. Yeah. Come on. Come on. I did this before I got saved. It's a little bit different because Malungu is a little bit different. But I did this before I got saved. I used to do drugs to try to help touch spirits. You think I'm making this up? Come on. Why do you think God sent me to Africa? Yeah. Come on. Because he saved me and he delivered me from that. And this is very, very real. We have this pull from our family now that we're saved. You are the only one who is not participating in the ceremony. You're going to get the Izanyanya angry with all of us. You know what God says? God says, I see this. I see that you are saved, but you're still connected to this, and I see you struggling in your own blood. Anger, jealousy, hatred, 
unforgiveness, all relational sins. Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. God came and pronounced a curse on him. Genesis 4, 11 through 13, Now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain murdered his brother as a result of all these things. Listen to me. Listen to me this morning. You cannot hate and be bitter and have resentment without consequence. And so on goes the cycle of frustration and sin and struggle and torment and we don't understand why we are the way we are. We don't understand why we do the destructive things that we do. We don't understand that why we're saved, we're in the potter's house, we go to marriage seminars, and then when we get in an argument with our spouse, we reach for the kettle full of boiling water. Just like somebody else did. Yeah. 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 Why do people struggle with particular things? Why do we have such a hard time with one particular sin and weakness? Why do we struggle with maybe sin, with drugs or alcohol, others, violence, others, sexual sin and perversion and conflict and unforgiveness? Why do people struggle with a particular thing? God says, I see this. Your navel cord has not been cut. And I see you struggling in your own blood. I want to close and I want to talk to you about God's words because thank God in this he says, I say to you, live. Live. Deliverance begins with a word from God. Verse 6, when I passed by you and I saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. God says it twice because he means this. Our deliverance is absolutely connected, listen to me, to our relationship with this book. And part of the religious culture in South Africa is we don't have our own relationship with it. He's the, he's the one who reads it to us. Well, maybe that's because, maybe that explains why he's delivered and you're not. Because we have to make this for ourselves. We have to have this ourselves. We have to memorize this. We have to be able to speak it. You know, when when I am in a trial, which is frequent, <laughs> um, I pray. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. When I Something happens even right now in my heart when I speak that. Deliverance comes with a word from God. Paul has a revelation and he teaches that the church is as the bride of Christ is being prepared for a wedding feast in heaven. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This was a Middle Eastern custom. 
when a girl would get engaged, there were some serious beauty treatments that she went through. And it wasn't so much about makeup, it was about baths and oils and spa treatments. Help me out, sister. Who bring it, Pastor? Okay, that's what they would do. So that when it came time for the wedding day, she had this natural beauty. It wasn't five liters of makeup. Although Pastor Mitchell says, if the barn needs painting, paint it. There was this natural beauty. She glowed. Why? Because she prepared it. That's what God's Word does. It's preparing us for heaven. And it's slowly, the blood of Jesus is what washes sin. But the washing of the Word of God is preparing us. It's getting us presentable for that great day in heaven. This is why you have to have your own relationship with God's Word. God poured out His love here in our text. God saw Jerusalem in her sad condition and sent out to save and shower His love upon her. Verse 7, I made you thrive like a plant in the field. You grew and matured and became very beautiful and your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. The population there of Jerusalem grew like a plant and a very fertile field. The city became a beautiful jewel. The growth and beautification of the city can be compared to the maturing of an abandoned child who's been rescued from death and given the very best of care. God says, I'm going to make this city my very own possession. God claimed Jerusalem just as a man claimed a woman in marriage, put a cloak of love over her, making her his own. God entered into a covenant. God claimed, and then God completely redeemed. A very clear picture of spiritual cleansing. He washed her. I'm going to wash this blood off of you. God clothed Jerusalem with the very finest clothing, being clothed in righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. God gave Jerusalem enormous wealth, jewels, serious bling-bling. Go back and read it. This is what God did. God gave her a glorious appearance. This is what God wants to do in our lives. This is what He is doing. This is His promise. God gave Jerusalem the very best of everything. Gold, silver, clothing. God gave Jerusalem the finest of foods, fine pastries, the best amaguenas you would ever eat in your life. It's what God does. See, God didn't just touch you at an altar when you got saved. He's working in your life. It's this multi-sided, multi-faceted, like all the sides of the diamond grace of God that He's working in our lives. A lot of this is spiritual. This means that we come to Him and we move closer and closer to Him than maybe we do the Ammonites and the Hittites. 
we doesn't mean that we reject and cut off our culture or our heritage, but it does mean we belong to Jesus. I should be in hell right now, like several times over. I was a drug addict. I was a drug trafficker. I was an alcoholic. I was a witch. I was an unclean man. Jesus saved me. He set me free. He's been washing me ever since. And this is our promise. Maybe, you've, maybe you're here and you feel like, you know what, my life is absolutely worthless. It's useless. I've made some really bad mistakes. I've got consequences of my sin following me around to this very day. You know what God says? He says, take you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to wash you up. I'm going to clothe you. And I'm going to give you a reputation. Jerusalem had a reputation of beauty that made her a city to be desired. This is God's promise to us. He breaks the curse. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. No one's looking around, moving around for just a moment.